Welcome to the Spiritually Intimate Podcast, a podcast exclusively for people who wake up every morning, meditate, do yoga, and spend the rest of their day saving baby whales. (laughs) Not. The Spiritually Intimate Podcast is for women who boldly pursue love, success, and a higher vision of life for themselves and those that they influence. We're your hosts, Andrew Crowder and Blair Dreesen. Join us for unfiltered, unsupervised, and possibly unsubstantiated conversations about when spirituality meets life, love, sex, and career. Let's go to the show. All right, you guys, welcome back to Spiritually Intimate Conversations. Uh, I'm your host, Andrea Crowder. I've got my co-host, Blair Dreesen, and we have a super fun guest uh, that we're going to share with you guys today. You guys are going to be so obsessed with what she has created. I know that we have a huge audience full of people who love all things vibration, especially crystals. So introducing Tyla Abbott, who created a company called Aether Beauty, which is a sustainable makeup brand out of San Francisco. So Tyla was the former head of product and development for uh, sustainability in Sephora. And she created her own beauty brand, Aether Beauty. Um, and she is the only employee, which I find absolutely incredible. And we're going to have to unpack that a little bit. Yeah, high <laughs> five to her. <laughs> She's 100% self-funded and felt that the beauty industry needed some change, uh, which I absolutely agree with. All of her products are both Leaping Bunny and PETA certified for being vegan and cruelty-free while banning over 1,400 ingredients and only sourcing ethical, organic, fair trade, child labor, free ingredients with 100% recyclable packaging. That is a major freaking... Yes. Like, I can't... (laughs) We know how hard it is to do anything even mildly sustainable when it comes to any part of your supply chain, like Blair and I are like bleeding right now from <laughs> trying to trying to launch our um, our next product. So let's talk about that first of all. So I know you had some experience previously working at Sephora. What was like the catalyst for you saying, "Wait, I need to create something myself"? How'd that get started? Yeah. So uh, my background's actually in fashion. So I worked in the fashion design world before um, I transitioned to beauty. And I worked at Sephora for over seven years in charge of their private label brands before collection, um, all of their makeup accessories, and then all of their makeup collaborations. So anytime it's at a brand plus Sephora, so like the Moschino collaboration, the Museum of Ice Cream, the Mara Hoffman, um, and everything in between. And then I sort of started having a disconnect with um, formulating conventional makeup, but living an organic lifestyle. So I've been a vegetarian since I was 14. I worked in an organic restaurant. I bought like a flame retardant free organic couch. (laughs) Like all my stuff for my kids is organic. So um, it was just started to eat at me going to work every day. And so I actually volunteered and became the head of R&D for sustainability for the entire retailer on top of my day-to-day role there. So that really sort of started me thinking about this space. And in that role, I visited a ton of recycling facilities. I spoke to engineers in the space. And personally, I've always just been obsessed with packaging. I love beautiful packaging. I love the design of it. Being a designer myself, it was always the fun part besides the formula when it came to designing products. And when I just learned, you know, 
how dirty the industry was beyond formula, but actually in packaging, it was just astounding. So the EPA just reported that a third of the landfill waste is from personal care products. And when you start to look at cosmetic packaging, you know, they're all mixed materials. So it's all different types of plastic together mixed with mirrors and magnets and all these sort of things that render it unrecyclable that just sit in the landfill. And so when I was there, I was learning all these things and trying to implement them at Sephora. And then Sephora um, uh, was ideating their clean at Sephora campaign. And I was brought into all these third-party clean natural brand meetings. And um, I have never been so bored at meetings in Sephora. And I had tried a ton of these clean beauty brands because I wanted to be able to buy clean beauty. But these meetings, you know, you're used to seeing innovation in formula and being like wowed left and right when it came to conventional cosmetics. And it was just truly lacking when it came to clean beauty. And I just knew, I knew I could do better. Um, and for me, the hole was so obvious that I was not even thinking I would do it. I was like, oh, someone's going to do it. Someone's going to do it. Someone's going to do it. And like six months went by and I was like, oh my God, nobody's doing this. So that sort of really sparked the idea. And then on top of it, you know, when you work somewhere so long, you're kind of ready for your next um your next sort of gig. So this sort of gave me an opportunity to sort of be re-inspired creatively. Wow. I love that so much. Um, that's actually how we ended up starting our company too, is right. we both wanted a crystal, a, a bra that would carry crystals and we're like, somebody will do it. Somebody will do it. Somebody will do it. Nobody did it. And we're like, what the fuck? I guess we have to do this. <laughs> Which I have to then ask because I feel like that's a lot of times, like most people, they just are waiting for somebody else to do the thing because they maybe don't think they can or they don't have the resources or they don't feel confident enough. So like even just like telling the audience, like how nervous were you moving forward and doing something like that when you would kind of recognize like nobody else was stepping forward to lead the charge? in this? It actually had an opposite effect. I wasn't nervous at all. It gave me more confidence knowing that I was actually filling a hole that was um, something I just saw so clearly because I've been an entrepreneur since I was a little kid. I've always made stuff and sold it. Um, and I always thought I would eventually do something on my own, but I didn't think it would be in beauty. Beauty to me, it's really funny because I was a big old hippie in high school and like had dreadlocks and like never wore makeup. And my mother was a model and like never left the house without makeup. And it was always sort of pristine. And I was all sort of anti that. And if you ever told me I'd own like a beauty brand, you know, 20 something years later, I would have probably like laughed or something. But um, it's interesting because life just comes full circle um, cause I used to make my own handmade skincare goods that were all organic. And I actually sold them in college at this restaurant and I sold them at craft fairs and things. And people were like, why don't you make a business doing this? And I was like, oh no, 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 I'm going to art school. Like I'm going to be an artist. Like this is just something I like to do. Um, I don't know how to scale this. I don't know anything about the beauty business. And on top of it, when I was in high school and a big old hippie, I used to, um, uh, sell crystals. <laughs> so that's like, like, it's crazy. I was waiting to hear the, how the crystal infusion 
slipped into the the yeah, beauty brand. Like so. it's just literally like you never really realize why life is taking you down a certain path until at some point it all makes sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, like um, it's just crazy to me because I never thought that I would end up here. I always thought I would produce like kids products. I've always had ideas for food. I love to cook. So I thought it would be more in those categories. But anytime I came up with an idea, I would talk myself out of it. I find like besides a financial talking myself out of it reason, more like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I don't have connections here. This isn't going to work. The MOQs are too high. But when I started to ideate this brand, I didn't have any roadblocks in my head. And that gave, I was like, it made me a little nervous because I was like, Oh my God, like this is actually meant to be like, I can't talk myself out of it. Um, so that sort of gave me the confidence to leave and sort of, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Like, okay, my brand isn't successful, but, um, you know, it's not like I wouldn't be able to go do something else or work in the beauty industry again. So it's not like, you know, it's a financial risk, but, um, it's worth the risk in my opinion to be able to sort of change the industry. I love that. It wasn't something that you thought that you couldn't recover from if it didn't pan out. Somebody said, um, I think I was listening to a podcast this morning and somebody said, uh, around the topic of failure is a luxury. And I was like, that's so interesting that they would put it like that, but it really is like, if you can afford Mm -hmm. to fail and still recover, why wouldn't you try? And I tell that to my kids. I'm like, look, I can afford to make a mistake up to blank number. At this point, I don't know if I could recover from like a multi seven figure mistake right now in my life, maybe someday. But like at this point I could afford to lose like X number of dollars. And they're like, oh, that's a big number to me. So maybe I could go a little bit smaller, but let me, I mean, I have teenagers right now. So that's, we've been talking <laughs> a lot about this. My son's very entrepreneurial, but okay. I love that. And one thing that we didn't mention in the beginning, you guys, and hopefully you picked up on that was that um, the product is infused with crystals. So can you talk a little bit more about how you decided to bring that into the product? Sure. So the word aether itself is a really old word. So the Greeks considered it the air the gods breathe, and Aristotle considered it the fifth element to earth, air, fire, water. So it's this medieval concept of the cosmos. And I really wanted to sort of blend skincare into color makeup. And crystals themselves is all cosmetic grade gemstone powder. So we get a lot of questions with people being like, Oh, is it like chunky crystals? Am I going to like break my skin? And I was like, no, no, it's all finely milled, um, all cosmetic grade. But basically there's two sides of the coin for it. So besides the skincare benefits, there's also the spiritual aspect of the stone. So I really wanted to create a brand in the clean beauty space that had storytelling that had an affinity to my clients to be able to love the brand. Um, One of the biggest holes for me with all these clean beauty brands is that if you strip away their logo, um, they all look the same. You go on their Instagram, it's all like three different models and like three different swatches and like talking about how, you know, dirty the industry is, but there's no real substance beyond that in the brand. And I really wanted to create some sort of brand that was empowering to my clients. Um, for me, given like our current like political situation, I'm like, 
God, we need all the like positivity we can get in our lives right now. And, you know, makeup is such a positive tool when it comes to self-esteem and people feeling beautiful and transforming that I wanted to give them a little bit more um, of a reason to actually love themselves, which is why I actually launched um, the Rose Quartz palette first, because Rose Quartz um, is all about love and self-love and being open to love. So it's a really sort of beautiful stone to use. I love that so much. You're going to love when we tell you what we just did with our bras. So Blair and I are so on board (laughs) with like the whole, we're really a teaching company that just also happens to sell clothing. Neither of us have a design background in fashion. We had no no clue about manufacturing. We've learned so much like baptism by fire in the last like nine months, but I mean, we were just joking yesterday when we were talking about how much we're learning how to like actually construct a bralette. And I was like, yeah, up to this point, I mean, I knew how to put on a bra, but that was like the knowledge of anything (laughs) when it came to fashion. That was it. But we started the company again, like to fulfill our own personal need of wanting the bra. But at the same time, we're like, okay, if we're going to do this, number one, we're going to do it big. And it's going to be more than just selling a product because like we both really needed to energetically get behind more of a movement of like, what did we want to do for people? And so every single product that we'll sell, will have a little affirmation that says, wear me when you want to feel. And then it will associate with like whatever crystal or whatever frequency is going to be put with it. So So it's a trigger every single day that you put on your clothing to step into the energy that you want to project that day. So our rose quartz bra is called Lady Love, and it says, wear me when you want to feel love, give fear a wrong number, which my actually, actually my husband wrote and he thought like, he's so clever, (laughs) but it really is like, it's so much more than that. And we wanted to give people not just products that they could enjoy, but a brand that they could connect with that would also take them on this journey of feeling good. And then our mission statement poured out of us, which is women that we create high vibe products to help people live a life that feels good on purpose because women that feel good do good. So I love so much, like all the little details and meanings behind each part of your brand make me love it more. And I think people care so much about the story these days that it creates more of a brand loyalty experience. And you're also giving people an education and a community to, to be a part of. So I think that's so powerful. I can't even begin to describe how much I love what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. I, we're all in parallel. Look at that. It's so good. It's, somebody just happened to send me... So this is how this whole interview went down for you guys listening. Somebody saw that she created crystal infused makeup. And they're, of course, they know all we talk about is crystals and on our page. And they send it to me. They're like, have you tried this brand yet? And I'm like, oh my God. Number number one, I have to ask you. So you're a designer. Did you do your website and your packaging and your formulate? I know you're a party of one, but like, have you outsourced anything? Tell me you have yeah, some. No, help. I have to outsource certain things. So yeah, I've designed all my packaging. I did all my formula. I do all my branding. I'm not a web developer. So I worked with someone locally in order to do all that. And the same with like, like I had, I'm basically a creative director. And so I had them implement my vision, but I didn't like actually code or do any of that stuff. 
You've done so much though. I'm like sitting here right? thinking, like, God, we're <laughs> oh whining. We're like, we need to outsource so much. <laughs> like super impressive. I love that. I love Thank that. you. Okay. So you came from, you went to school for fashion though, right? Yep. So I have a bachelor of fine arts in video sculpture and a minor in women's art history. And then I came to San Francisco to get my master's. So I have a double master's of fine arts in knitwear design and fashion design. And then I basically um, had my fashion career in San Francisco before I transitioned to beauty. So what did you do in the fashion industry? What did you do when you finally actually started? Yeah. So I was a, I was a knitwear designer. So it's a sweater designer. Mm-hmm. And I worked for a local design house here called Margaret O'Leary and um, worked as an intern. And then they liked me so much, they created a role for me. And then I eventually grew into the head designer there. And basically, it was a great learning experience because she used to have all of her production in-house, which is incredibly unheard of these days, especially for knitwear. Um, However, when I was there, because I was there over five years, um, she decided to transition all her production to China, which was very devastating to sort of everyone. But I then had to go to China once every two months for about two years and saw so many different factories and so many different things that I wish I could unsee that mm-hmm. sort of stuck with me as part of being a designer and learning how you're connected to the whole process, even if you're sitting at a desk in another country. Yeah. So um, that was one of my reasons of never, I mean, there's a lot more behind not doing anything in China, but um, that was one of my reasons why I won't ever um, sort of, produce formula in China. Well, I know, Andrea, you had sent me an interview and I can't remember who was doing the interview, but they were talking about this, that there's the figure, what is it, like 10.3 million children are in um, in factories making garments, something like a, a staggering number that I, I had no idea it was that high. I don't remember the number, but I remember it was disgusting. And yes, I loved what you were. I know I said that I wanted to bring this up. So this is like a perfect segue. But yesterday you did some Instagram lives when somebody, you know, wanted to complain about how much you thought, how much they thought your product was and how expensive I use air quotes loosely because I'm like, wait, you're so actually very competitive to other brands that don't go as far as you do to make sure that like you have the most minimum impact as possible on the environment. So, um, but you had also mentioned that I don't save any of the um, normal profit margins that a lot of brands do because they outsource to China. And when you look at how cheap you can get things made in China, most people, unfortunately, see that profit margin and they're like, this is amazing. I see that profit margin and I'm like, how do people live? Like, yeah. how do you pay someone that little t- and make a product for so cheap that how does somebody actually afford to care for a family or pay a bill or eat? <laughs> it's, can you talk a little bit about that experience more so people can have just some awareness, even if they're not starting a brand and maybe... Um, manufacturing in China, but maybe the products that they buy are being manufactured in China and maybe why they might want to reconsider that? I mean, sure. Any sort of, you know, there's always a cost. So if something's cheap in the market, 
there's a cost somewhere else. So yeah, maybe that, you know, brush that like elf brush is $3 or, you know, you're looking at, you know, some makeup palette that's like less than $20. There's a hidden cost there. So when I was working in the garment industry, um, basically the units were so small that we were working with factories that would, um, that would develop our small units. And a lot of the factories I went to were, um, had military around them, that they were all guarded, um, that people didn't tell them who the owner was because there's a lot of uprising in China. And I went to many areas that I couldn't even tell you where the heck I was in the middle of China that I remember thinking it was before like iPhones and things like that. Like if something was to happen to me, like my husband would have no idea where I was, but, um, you saw so much sadness where people are just, they have no choice. They have to work in these factories in order to bring home money for their family. They live in these factories. It becomes their life. Um, and so they get stuck in the cycle. Now it has changed a little bit now. So people, I'm talking about this happened maybe, I don't know, 10 something years ago, but now with everyone in China is trying to leave the factory world and they're trying to go more into business. It's really hard to maintain um, workers in China, but China is always bottom line driven. So I've also seen it from the perspective of the owners that, you know, everyone is to the penny where even when you look at companies like Gap or other ones here in San Francisco, they just have like a computer bidding system where all these companies just bid on making the garment and whoever bids the cheapest price is who gets it. Um, so if you're a factory owner, if it's going to cost you too much to hire your workers, you will outsource that to someone else. And that's sort of where you lose control. So you don't have insight. That's why you get in the news a lot of these companies um, in fashion basically all of a sudden there's like an outbreak because there's some factory that wasn't up to code that there was a fire and all these people died and there was all this child labor and like, how could H and M or how could these big companies like not like see that and be a part of it. And it's actually like, they hide it from you. So I don't, you know, like these companies can do better, but at the same point, like, it's not like, in my opinion, they knew, you know, that this stuff was being outsourced and this is in that certain factory that had child labor. I don't think anyone goes into this thinking, oh, let me support child labor, even at a hidden cost. Right. Um, but that's sort of the nature of the space. And so with color cosmetics, when I worked at Sephora, I wasn't allowed to formulate in China, um, which is a great thing. So there's a lot of things with cheap makeup. So a lot of people, whenever you look at deals, even at Sephora, brands that don't formulate in China, they'll do it at certain times of year. Like they'll do it for holiday palettes. Like holiday is all about how cheap can you get a product and move it out the door. So if they need to make their profit margin, they'll store something in China, even if they don't normally produce in China. Um, that's why. So with China, when you're talking about formula, same thing. They're not testing for asbestos in their talc. They're not doing all these extra things that cost money. And they're also doing substitutions for ingredients that are not, um, that are cheaper. So that's why you get Claire's with all these outbreaks of asbestos in children's makeup. Like it's just mm. such a broken system. And for me, it's really interesting because being in the clean beauty space, 
you know, there's also the side of the coin, like why isn't clean beauty affordable? And so there's a lot of brands, you know, popping up in this space and clean beauty that are manufacturing in China. And I'm like, literally, that's such a huge liability. Um, there are some new brands that I'm sure they don't even have the knowledge of this to even be aware, but they're just looking at the bottom dollar. And to me, like there's the actual human cost that might not be in the, your cost of goods, but it is an ethical piece of it to me that I won't be a part of. And I love that you even said that in your stories that you were like, there's all these labels that you can put on like PETA approved or vegan, but it's like, can I have a stamp that says human cruelty free? And I was like, yes, why don't they have that? Yeah. And there's so many influencers that are just about cruelty free, but then they're buying like, um, you know, all of these really cheap mass brands. And I'm like, do you know what the chemicals are in that? Do you know what like the human cost of that? But you know, it, it wasn't tested on animals. So like, that's good. But I'm just like, like, it's such a, there is some statistic that like, most people contribute their charitable charitable dollars to animal charities versus actual human charities because people just connect more with animals and want to help animals and all of that, which is fine. But it's just like, what about the actual human cost to all these things? Like, why isn't there uh, someone thinking about this? Like, the only thing I can come up with, the equivalent would be more of a fair trade where you're actually like paying someone a living wage. But when I worked at Sephora, um, you know, we were investigating mica because mica is such a ing- like a red flag ingredient in cosmetics because 25% of the world's production of mica comes from child labor. And so I contacted the fair trade organization being like, why isn't there such thing as fair trade mica? And so fair trade itself is, it has to be um, sort of established. Like you can't just go and make something fair trade. There has to be infrastructure there. There has to be like a fair trade, you know, organization that takes part in something like this. So it's, um, it's really interesting to me that you can't just automatically have every single ingredient fair trade. It has to be sort of put into the system and created, um, sort of a infrastructure to be able to even create a fair trade conversation. Mm. It's so challenging, but I'm so excited that I know we're just complaining a little bit about like, sometimes people like to give you unsolicited advice on social media and and occasionally it can feel more like maybe harmful than it is helpful. But at the same time, because of social media, you know, we were, somebody shared your product with us and now like my daughter's super into beauty and loves, we're very you know, thoughtful and careful about which brands we buy from, but like now I can share that with her and I can share that with my audience and, you know, things that are important. And and for us to be able to have this conversation with an amazing audience where people are purchasing unconsciously, I think, I don't think people know, I don't think anybody would ever knowingly buy something where if I bought this t-shirt, I know that there's like a five-year-old with bleeding thumbs somewhere, like helping create this product most people don't just realize it. And I think it's just important that we start asking those questions and being more thoughtful and not breeding fear into it. Cause I don't think that that's helpful ever, but really just becoming more aware is really what I was hoping to, you know, highlight in this conversation today. 
you know, where are we buying our products? What's happening, you know, in the process and the way that you described that with like, there's always a cost, even if it's not a financial cost, there might be a human cost or an emotional cost or a vibrational cost or whatever that may look like, but there's always a cost. So thank you for saying that. I think that most people probably don't think about it that way. Well, even like just how our society is just wrapped up in, you know, buying stuff all the time. Like that's what even created this fast fashion institutional problem. Um, But, you know, if you're investing more in your clothes and investing more in them long-term, like you're not buying the cheap stuff from like an H&M and Zara that are going to just fall apart in six months, you know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe a price tag is like a hundred and something dollars, but then that garment lasts you like five, 10 years. It's the same with my makeup. Like, you know, what is the true cost of everything? And then if you're looking at these cheap goods, like there's chemicals in these products that will actually like cause harm to you. Like, do you really want to be spending even $3 on that? Knowing like, are you going to get pregnant sometime in your life? Or is something like, if you put this stuff on every single day, day after day, what is the true cost of that? So, um, it's just, you know, I, I don't blame consumers because I also think they're not supposed to think about this sort of thing. Cause it's what, you know, we were taught because all these companies just want you to spend, you know, $3 on something that should not cost $3. Absolutely. And I think that, um, even though it's not a consumer's fault because we should be able to trust brands and we should be able to trust that our government is, putting appropriate checks checks and measures in place. The sad fact of the matter is, is it's not true. It's not happening. It's few and far between, but we can start to vote and make change based off of how we spend our money. So being slower to pull out the credit card and being a little bit more thoughtful. And my dad tried to teach me this from the time I was a little girl. It took me a very long time to learn it, but quality over quantity does matter. And You'll see, like when we launch spiritually intimate products, we're not going to have the cheapest product on the market because we are so brutal about who we'll do business with and where we're sourcing every single piece to the point where it's like, this is going to take forever (laughs) just to get something on the market. But vote with your dollar. Like the brands who care about you and care about the people that are creating the product, like if we're going to talk about energy, like energy is going into every single product that you buy and it's in and on your physical body, that should matter to you at a certain point because otherwise you can't keep complaining about why you feel like shit every day or like why you got cancer three times. I can't tell you how many people I know that like have been sick over and over and over and they think that they're just getting a bad luck of the draw. God hates them or something. And it's just unconsciousness, right? And awareness. No, totally. I always say the biggest power you have is in your wallet. So, you know, this space can be completely overwhelming. You can't, you know, beauty always follows food trends. So if you're looking at organic food, if you're looking at natural food, you turn over the ingredients and you can pretty much read what those ingredients are and understand what they are. You read a cosmetic ingredient list, And unless you're a scientist, you don't know how to decipher left from right. And you don't know if that ingredient is a good ingredient, is a safe ingredient, is an expensive ingredient, none of it. So it really comes into um, 
brand trustworthiness and retailer trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can be very overwhelming. So, you know, a lot of people want to go and like throw everything out of their bathroom and all of that too. And I always tell people, don't do that. <laughs> that will just add to, you know, the whole like throwing stuff into the trash and in the landfill sort of thing. But what is your next purchase? Like just consciously think, even when you go to the coffee shop, like, you know, do you really need that to go coffee cup? Can you sit there and drink it in a ceramic cup or can you bring your own cup? Like that cup is now going to last on this planet for X amount of years for your 10 minutes of coffee. So, you know, like just thinking consciously in general about little things that we do have power over, I think, you know, can be less daunting. Mm. I love that. You don't have to change everything, but change the next decision that you make. Just be more thoughtful. So tell me about um, your packaging. So I know that we already mentioned that it's fully recyclable, but I don't think people are aware about the fact that most of their beauty products aren't and why. Can you dig into that a little bit? Sure. So um, I have a paper pellet that is made without mirrors and without magnets, which is not inventing, reinventing the wheel at all. It's just thinking differently. So when I was in that sustainability role and visiting recycling facilities, I learned that mirrors and magnets are completely unrecyclable. And I just stood there for a minute and I was like, every single freaking makeup component has these things. There are billions and billions of components that just unnecessarily have these things in them. And so on top of it, magnets themselves are mined in only specific mines in China that are like treacherous, that like also the human conditions there are not something I wanted to be associated with. So I was like, why am I going to put this in my palette if it's just going to make it end up in a landfill? So I worked with tons of makeup artists at Sephora and they used to actually complain about their palettes with their mirrors because you travel with it, you put it in your luggage and the next thing you know, you have a cracked mirror. And so it's pretty useless anyway. Um, and funny enough, mirrors are really cheap, but I get comments sometimes like, oh, my palette's $58 and there's not even a mirror. And I'm like, you know, if you're adding a mirror into something, it really doesn't add that much cost, but it gives this illusion of luxury. It's just really interesting to sort of hear people's comments on that. I'm like, oh, that's actually not an expensive thing. Um, But to me, it's more expensive. It's going to sit here forever. So um, you're going to use the palette in front of a mirror anyway. So, you know, if you have one compact mirror in your purse that you just use over and over versus every single little thing you have has a mirror in it, then, you know, you're just changing sort of your behavior. Um, and every like bathroom has a mirror. Like, why are we adding all these elements except like it started because people, you know, thought it was luxurious. I, well, I want to circle around that because I feel like even just redefining them, what's luxurious, like you're saying, like the little, this little mirror is what they're taking as like, this is what's making it more luxurious where, but then when I hear you like talk about your brand and the packaging and everything that goes around it, I'm like, that fucking feels seriously so luxurious and up leveling and uplifting for me. And it's just better having those types of conversations to get women to kind of recognize like, yeah, but what are you really defining as luxurious for yourself? Like, does that really feel luxurious knowing that, that, that piece, that mirror is filling up landfills. That doesn't feel very luxurious to me at all. Totally. 
And I designed everything to sort of prove that it doesn't have to be like Whole Foods granola. Like in my opinion, it is like a really pretty packaging. But I even made sure like the paper I sourced come from FSC certified paper, which means that the like they replant trees and they don't over forest in order to um, create the paper. And then even the ink I use, I even researched down to the ink that the ink printed on the palettes and the outside packaging um, will make it go easily back into the system. So just because you have something printed on paper doesn't mean you can actually recycle it either. Um, so it's all these little things that I just wanted to make sure that were part of my um, product because I have little kids. I live here. I see like how terrible, you know, our future is when it comes to the environment. I'm like, I just don't want to have a part of this. So how can I show the industry that it can be done differently? Um, you know, when I was at Sephora, I was trying to, um, convince the powers that be not to put a, a mirror on this tiny, tiny component. And it got nixed, like killed because like some of the marketing people were like, no, you absolutely need a mirror. It's not going to sell. And I was like, that's absolutely not true. And it was like, you know, a two inch wide little compact thing. And so it just felt very, you know, just very, you know, heavy on me that, that people are just so convinced of these little things of luxury that something's not going to sell that I wanted to prove that you can have luxury and it can be beautiful and it can sell. And in fact, I already won an award because my palettes are the first zero waste eyeshadow palettes in the beauty industry. So they are hundred percent recyclable. And again, I didn't reinvent the wheel. I just thought about it differently, but the harder part are different components. So there's no such thing as like a foundation bottle that you can recycle. Sure, you can recycle the bottom piece, like the glass or the plastic part, but the actual pump, it's all made of different materials. And nobody is sitting there taking these things apart, but it just ends up in a landfill. Same with a mascara component, same with a lip gloss component, same with all of these different materials. So I'm launching a ton of new products this year, but one of the products I'm launching is a um, new liquid lip where the plastic, so I go back and forth on like, should I use glass? Should I use plastic um, sort of deal? Um, and glass has a higher weight. So you're actually, you know, causing more harm in the environment with shipping issues, but it's more easily recycled. Like I have like kind of battles in my head all the time about it. But certain things you cannot have glass. So like if you have a lip component and it breaks, like there's your sort of glass in your product. So that to me isn't really safe, but um I actually created a component that's 100% the same plastic through and through, which is unheard of. But on top of it, it's 100% recycled plastic. So there's no virgin plastic used whatsoever. So it'll be the first zero waste lip gloss component in the beauty industry as well. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. And I was going to ask, so what products, so the lip products next, and then what's coming after that? Actually, the lip isn't launching to the end of the year, but um, I have so I have three palettes in the market now. I have the Rose Quartz, I have the Crystal Grid, and I have the Summer Solstice, but I'm about to launch in August individual highlighters. They're called my mm. Supernova highlighters, and they're all made with real diamonds. They're yes. ridiculous. <laughs> I like, just, just died. Uh, I'm drooling. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! And, you know, with diamonds themselves, 
being the stones about creativity and like energy amplifier, like you literally feel like you're an angel when you wear the, uh-huh. this highlighter. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and then I'm launching. <laughs> oh uh, then I'm launching cheek palettes. So people have been asking for other categories as well. So cheek palettes at the end of September, and then a fourth palette for holiday, and then the liquid lip sort of after that. Um, but I am the only employee, like you said, and I'm 100% self-funded. So people ask me all the time for all different products I don't have, but I have to be able to launch one thing at a time in order to mm-hmm. sort of afford and fund the next product. So mm-hmm. that's sort of the, the slow fashion pace for me, given that it's just all coming out of my pocket. We're in the exact same space. We were actually just talking about like, maybe we should do a crowdfunding moment or what, because we have so many ideas that we want to launch all, you know, so close to each other. And it's like, oh, this is going to take forever. I just need God to drop like $2 million on my lap. (laughs) (laughs) Can I I hear you? Can I ask when I, when you're, you've done obviously like so much research and you're so dedicated to finding the right people, the right pro, the, the, you know, the right, um, ingredients and, and everything. And I feel like for like, I know like me and Andrea, like that's, I think where sometimes it can be very overwhelming and daunting for somebody when they're creating something, especially when you're wanting to, um, stand true to being, um, so sustainable. So like how, I'm like, my brain's like, how do you go about that? Because I feel like there's some times where me and Andrea are like, we're trying to find the best ways to go about that as we're in product development. Yeah. So packaging is always like, people always say like, you know, how do you get these formulas so great? Like, how hard is it? Blah, 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 this stuff. And for me, it's always funny. I'm like, oh no, that's the easiest part of my job is the formula piece. So Mm -hmm. When I worked at Sephora, Sephora actually has their own mandate because they're part of their own by LVMH. And so they have a list of chemicals that you're not allowed to formulate with. They're not necessarily clean. They're more of like a, I don't know, there's a a bunch of rules for them, but you sort of learn how to substitute ingredients all the time. So I learned how to substitute ingredients for over seven years, like the back of my hand. And the majority of the people in the clean beauty space don't even come from beauty. Like a lot of them start their own brand because they get pregnant, they have a skin allergy, something happens to them, they start researching how dirty the industry is. So I actually, you know, in the U.S., they only ban 11 chemicals. And the last time that law was updated was in 1938. And since then, there's been over 16,000 chemicals introduced in the beauty world. And it's up to every brand to self-regulate in the U.S. So that's insanity. In Europe, they ban over 1,300. But I sort of go above and beyond and do the 1,400 that I have created that are not safe in my book. And on top of it are vegan and cruelty-free. And then I always source organic and fair trade and ethically sourced ingredients. But... A lot of times, you know, sometimes if a formula is not working, something else will work. So I might, you know, figure out something else on a formula and it will eventually get there. Packaging is a harder piece. So, you know, there's not a lot of innovation in packaging and makeup cosmetic packaging are these really hard plastics. And the harder plastics are, 
the less of a secondary market there is. So, the, you know, when you see recycle number one, number two, number three, there's secondary markets for that. And even those secondary markets are now becoming more dwindled given our new um, relationship with China. So China used to take back all our recycled goods. And now given, you know, China's relationship with Trump, they've stopped taking back our recycled goods. So that's a whole nother conversation. But um the problem why a lot of people in the cosmetic world don't have recyclable packaging is because they have to spend money on mold. So in order to create a new mold for like a makeup palette, like a plastic makeup palette, you're talking about $50,000. So yep. that's not something like small brands can afford. That's not something that even large brands want to be able to afford. So um, you have to think creatively and there's been a lot of innovation in this space. So, and a lot of greenwashing. So the in my, I've done so much research on this, and there's so many brands um, in packaging that are doing biodegradable plastics. And you would think biodegradable plastics would be a great solution, right? But when I went to the recycling centers in San Francisco, they were like, whatever you do, don't use biodegradable plastic. What? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so let me explain. Hooray. So basically, biodegradable plastic does not biodegrade in time. So all those plastic forks or all those biodegradable forks, you throw them in your compost. So they have to go through an industrialized compost process in order to actually break down. And so the at least in San Francisco, we have that. So we actually are forced to um, compost. It's actually, if you don't, you get fines and all this stuff. But the um, compost machines and everything are getting faster and faster. So in about 30 days, everything will break down and they'll start a new, you know, whatever process. But whatever that doesn't break down within 30 days, they just gather and put directly into the landfill. And all of these biodegradable plastics take like a few months to actually biodegrade in these industrial-sized biodegradable machines. So they're just being gathered and thrown into the landfill and in a normal landfill environment, they act like plastic. And then on top of it, they're also um, screwing up the recycling facilities because they look exactly like plastic. And nobody's sitting there sorting, oh, is this a biodegradable fork or a plastic fork? And so they're actually painting all of the recyclable materials because you can't actually recycle these biodegradable materials. So it's kind of a, a huge greenwashing in this space that people are trying to do better, but it's actually a worse solution. Um, so that's why it was more important for me. I was like, there's some crazy number, like 83 trillion gazillion tons of plastic in the world. Why aren't we using it? So if I can use 100% recycled plastic of the same plastic, why not use this material instead of create a new... So biodegradable plastic uses virgin plastic, number one. So you're also using, you know, it's not just this all clean and green, you know, made from soy or whatever. There's actual like plastics made in there. Um, so you're not necessarily... Like it's just a whole greenwashing thing. So for me, if I could actually use this material that we have, that we've created this mess with and create something new that can actually go back into the system, why not use that? And in my like research of everything, that was sort of the greenest option I could come up with. Wow. But I'm like obsessed with these things. And I've also <laughs> like been introduced with so many people in the industry for over, you know, seven, eight years that it's not like 
I, if I just woke up and was like, I'm going to work in the beauty industry now and I'm going to research all this stuff. Like there's no way I would have figured all this stuff out. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the problem that we're having is because that's exactly how we started. We didn't have the experience in our industry in any way, shape or form. We have never done our own. We've been in business, but we've done a lot of like digital products and never product formulation. Or we did look into like, what if we needed a mold for this product and this packaging for this? And like, even just a mailer, a simple mailer to mail our fucking bras has been like, I've been banging my head against the desk. I'll take that conversation offline and get your like best opinion. If you have like some vendor recommendations for us. Um, but it's so frustrating because you don't want to be a part of the problem, but really if you don't have a lot of experience and you're just sitting there Googling, I can't, I think I've spent at least 10 hours this week, just Googling mailers. It's killing me. Yeah. I mean, the best thing you can do is really like go to trade shows, talk to people in this space. Like what's interesting Mm -hmm. for me is that I almost didn't take the job at Sephora. So um, circling back to uh, me barely wearing any makeup. So (laughs) that sort of carried into my twenties until one of my, one of my older friends was like, girl, you need to be wearing foundation now. And I was like, Oh really? Do I? (laughs) Um, But (laughs) But um, when I interviewed at Sephora, like I never actually wanted to get into beauty and my old boss became a vendor there and they were looking for a product developer. And I went on the interview kind of interview kind of for practice because I didn't think I was like, I have zero experience in beauty. Like, why would I get this job? So, but you know, when you go into an interview and you're, you don't really want it. So you're not as stressed out and you're super relaxed and relaxed. Like I kind of mm-hmm. killed the interview and they kept calling me in and calling me in. I was like, no, 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 I really have no experience in beauty. Like I told them, I'm like, I barely wear a tinted moisturizer, but they were like, no, like we love your portfolio. You understand what it takes to have a vision and work in production to get it made um, all the way to being in stores. Like that's what we're looking for mm-hmm. and that sort of expertise. So that's sort of how I got um, into Sephora, but like I said before, like I would have never thought in a million years that I'd ever work in beauty. That's so crazy. But I mean, now, like I, I love makeup. I love color. Like I am a creative person that like, that's another thing that really lacked for me in the clean beauty space is that besides them all looking the same, they're all like boring, neutral colors. <laughs> like it's not just this natural girl that wants clean beauty. Like I love, you know, the Urban Decays, the Kat Mondays, the Pat McGraths of the world. Like, I'm obsessed with Pat McGrath formula, but not stuff like $200 a palette. But is that stuff clean? No. So, like, I just, you know, I just wanted to prove that you can do clean beauty with efficacy in a sustainable, ethical way and, you know, still be fun. Still, like, you know, be like colorful, still like, you know, give people a reason to want to try your product. Um, you know, feel good, wear crystals on your face. Like how amazing is that? I mean, you're speaking kind of obsessed. This is music to our ears for sure. <laughs> um, okay. So number one, you're killing it. Like we're, we're so proud to like know you now and can't wait to just continue to tell the world what you're doing. Um, you will forever be a name on the lips of Andrea and Blair for sure. When it comes to any clean beauty product, 
Um, but also, so yesterday I went to go grab a palette at Sephora. So tell the story of like how they can find the product. Um, if they can't get them in stores now, when can they? And yeah, give them all the details. Yeah, sure. So I'm in 42 doors at Sephora. So I'm already part of their clean beauty campaign, but it's not in all doors. So it's actually on my website if you wanted to check out which stores have it. Um, but starting in July, I will be in all doors. And I'm not only at Sephora, so I'm also in Credo Beauty, Detox Market, Neiman Marcus, Urban Outfitters, Anthropology, Riley Rose. Um, and there's my own website as well. So lots of different places where you can actually pick up the product. Crushing it. You guys, I know you want crystals on your face. Go buy it. Yeah, she right? also- <laughs> <laughs> she Who also- doesn't want crystals on their face? <laughs> I mean, you know, I do. So, um, and she also gave you guys a 20% off code. So if you use spiritually intimate on her website, you guys can get 20% off of one of her beautiful palettes. We'll go ahead and link everything in the show notes for you so that you guys can get easy access to that. I cannot wait to get my hands on. I was just telling the girls before we started recording, I went out in a rainstorm last night to go get my hands on one of these palettes because I wanted to use it before we recorded today. And they didn't have it in that store. So that's when I got on and I started asking, I'm like, wait, is it all Sephora's? Tell me how to find this. What do I do? It was like <laughs> urgent. So now you guys know. Go to the website if you can't find it in your local Sephora. Use your, your 20% off code. Um, you're fucking crushing it, girl. Like we really appreciate your diligence, the passion behind your entire brand. I think that like that's all we care about shopping these days. And I know that at least the younger generation is really starting to pick up on that. So kudos to them. And I hope that all of our spiritually intimate conversation listeners will start to be a little bit more consciously aware of what it is that you're putting on your body, putting on your face where it's coming from, who's creating it, how it's being made. You don't have to know all those details. Just start to ask little questions and make just 1% better decisions each day is really going to change the future of basically the world. No big deal. Yay. (laughs) Thank you so much. We appreciate you being on the show and educating us. I've learned so much. Blair and I have more questions probably. (laughs) Oh yeah. I just want to pick her brain for forever. (laughs) You guys share this with a friend, tag us on Instagram. We can't wait to see you share this. We know that there's more people that need to be educated in this space. So thank you guys so much for being our feet on the ground and helping us educate more women to be more conscious consumers. And we will see you guys next week.